0: This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher.
1: Hi, and welcome to the one place where you can catch up the stories of this past week here. Maybe you only got the headline or two or missed the story completely. We cover this past week from Sunday all the way through Saturday, July the 16th. I'm Mark Christopher, and everybody contributing here. From Northwest News Radio gives you a chance to hear these stories you might have missed. The new measure shows inflation continues to leave its mark on all of us, and a COVID-19 variant shows the pandemic is not over. Plans outlined for recruiting more police officers in Seattle, just some of the headlines we have. Full stories for you soon so you can catch up. Let's get started right now. A first story we have here contributing for the week from Tom Hutler. The latest report on the consumer price index released and the numbers are grim. A closer look now with Bankrate.com senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick
2: sharing this with our listeners. A nine point one percent jump for the year over year mark that ended in June. It's been decades since we've seen that sort of increase. That's right. Nineteen eighty one, and not everybody who's listening was born no. at that time. I- I think you and I were, Tom. But but, uh, this is historically high and unfortunately continuing inflation. And what we got out of this report was not only uh, high, higher than expected uh, and hotter than what we had seen before. So you can say that inflation has really gone from full boil to boiling over here. Wow. What are the main culprits here? Well, I think most people uh, who are consumers have a sense of what they've been experiencing in the month of uh, June, which we're covering here, of course, was gasoline and Mm -hmm. energy prices more broadly. And that's sort of an inescapable uh, factor. Even if you're not driving, uh, you're still having to pay for the cost of transportation for the things that you consume. And so uh, we'll put... uh, gasoline at the top of the list, put food up there as well as shelter. And we know that uh, housing costs as well as rent costs have been on the rise as well. Any reason for hope? Well, if we pray, <laughs> uh, that, that would be helpful, number one. I'm just joking, but not really. Uh, I do think, first of all, Tom, there are some uh, positive developments. So number one is that, of course, gasoline prices and crude oil prices have come down here in the month of July nationally. The price of gas is still a buck fifty above where it was a year ago. Commodities prices are coming down. It looks like uh, the global traffic jam that was responsible for supply chain disruptions is easing somewhat. But I think we're still going to have elevated inflation for some time to come. But this could be, don't bet the house on it, mm-hmm. but this could be the peak. The house that you're paying so much for. Um, Any house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about the Fed? It looks like they've got more work to do. Absolutely. And we know that they've raised interest rates three times in kind of an upward stair step. Uh, formation, 75 basis points last time around, or three quarters of 1%. And that's been a total of 150 basis points, or 1.5%. And we think that they'll deliver another 75 basis point uh, injection at the end of the month. And more to come likely after that. And what the Fed really wants to do is get to a level of restrictive interest rates by the end of the year. And they may want to do that even more quickly when they see numbers like this. All right. We hope we don't have the same discussion next month, but we'll see what happens. As always, we appreciate your analysis. That is Bankrate.com Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick. Hundreds of King County
1: low-income renters filed formal grievances after their applications for rental assistance rejected. Corwin Hake.
3: Among them is Christine Myers, desperate to stay in her her small Kent apartment, she tells Crosscut she applied for assistance during the pandemic after her gigs as a rideshare driver dried up. The Crosscut report says her application was denied because Myers' caseworker overstated her income. Myers is one of more than 200 people who have filed formal grievances about emergency rental assistance denials through the Housing Justice Project. The report says in some of the grievances, applications were incorrectly flagged as fraudulent. Others, like the Myers' case had application errors, and in some cases, landlords flat out refused to participate. The two hundred or so grievances represent only a fraction of the nearly thirty-eight thousand King County households receiving rental assistance since the program started in August 2020. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: The pandemic-related cap on food delivery services would become permanent under a new ordinance before the Seattle City Council.
4: The draft ordinance calls for a 15% limit on food delivery fees once the pandemic cap ends with an option for restaurants to contract for other services like advertising at higher rates. Steve Hooper, president of the Seattle Restaurant Alliance, tells a city council committee many restaurants took on a lot of pandemic debt but that large restaurant groups can get steep delivery discounts. The average immigrant-owned
0: small, and pop restaurant is paying many multiples of what a restaurant group like ours would need to pay for the exact same service. That's just fundamentally unfair.
4: Anna Powell with DoorDoc Dash says a cap would hurt restaurants and their drivers, and the DoorDash already has a pricing plan. That gives
5: small and medium-sized restaurants the ability to choose the level of service they want, which includes a 15% commission rate and the flexibility to change their plan whenever they
4: want. The bill comes back to the committee for a vote in two weeks. Ryan Harris, Northwest News
1: Radio. And another story on our desks here at Northwest News. E-cigarette maker Jewel is facing yet another lawsuit. The Tulalip tribe accuses the company of intention marking its products to young people with deceptive ads. Carleen Johnson looked into the matter.
6: The Tulalip tribe filed suit last week in U.S. District Court alleging that Juul and its subsidiaries violated federal racketeering laws and Washington's public nuisance laws. About one quarter of American Indian 10th graders anonymously reported using e-cigarettes in a healthy youth survey a few years ago. That is higher than other racial groups. Attorney General Bob Ferguson settled with Juul in a similar lawsuit for more than 20 Twenty-two million
7: Jewel pushed fruit and dessert flavored products such as mango and creme brulee. It launched the ads for these products on social media platforms. The
6: Seattle Times reports the company has admitted no wrongdoing, but acknowledged that the settlement was one step in a larger company reset and part of its effort to resolve issues of the past. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
1: More to learn about this latest COVID variant here just ahead. Also, less than three weeks after the reversal of. Pro v. Wade, by the Supreme Court, several states passed bans on restrictions of abortions. And for the state, we're about to find out. But let's share this one story. TikTok rolling out some features that will give parents more control over what their kids watch. Speaking with our very own Lisa Jaffe, ABC's Jason Nathanson.
8: Jason, explain how TikTok is changing the ways we can view content. Whether you're a parent and you don't want to see your kids seeing something that you deem too adult, or maybe you want to filter out what shows up in your own feed.
9: Yeah, there's been a lot of pressure on them to fix this because TikTok is kind of like this wild, wild west where you open up and you're watching your for you page, which is where where most people watch their videos. And one minute you're watching something like babies giggling or something like that. And then the next minute you're watching something like hardcore, like either sexually or violent or something like that. It can go to either extreme and you can't really control that. It just kind of pops up. It serves you what it thinks that you want to watch via the algorithm. So now what they're doing, is introducing this thing called content levels, which is rolling out slowly now uh, over the next couple of weeks. And it'll filter videos by uh, either maturity level. So you can say almost like a, a rating on a movie or a TV show or a video game, they'll have different levels of maturity, which will, it's my understanding that these videos will be automatically assigned a maturity level. So you can say, you know, I only want my kid to watch this or this level or see be exposed to this or that, or yourself, I guess you could set it for yourself, but you can also, set it by words, words that might be in the video or hashtags. So you could take out words like sex or drugs or violence or things like
8: that. What are some of the things that adults want more control over? For an example, the kids were teaching me the other day, Okay, mom, if you're looking at TikTok, go really fast, scroll through these so it doesn't lock on one of these images, because then all (laughs) of a sudden you're just going to only get beauty feed or you're only going to get dancing bears, you know, so you have to go really fast. Now there's a way to get around that.
9: Yeah. So TikTok, it's famous for its Algorithm And it, it watches how long you watch a video. And then if you interact with the video, whether you go to the comments or you look at more videos by that certain person in TikTok's mind that says, oh, you're liking this stuff. So we're going to serve you up more of it. And then you can kind of get stuck in these areas that, you know, they call areas of TikTok that you might not like because you watched a video too long or whatever. So now you can filter stuff out. Say, you know, there's a lot of dieting videos on that. Say you don't want to watch dieting videos because maybe you're triggered by things like that. This is an effort to stop people from being triggered. There's also a lot of people who they talk about suicide or they talk about drug use or, or things like that from a recovery standpoint because they want to talk about their own experiences and help other people with those experiences, which can be helpful for some people. But that can also be triggered. For other people, so they might not want to see that kind of content. So now you can at least a little more easier filter out some of that stuff.
8: And quickly, Jason, big news out of Hollywood today when it comes to Top Gun. Yeah, Top Gun Maverick
9: is just taking over Titanic at the domestic box office, which is big for a couple of reasons. They're both Paramount movies and Titanic, which had made six hundred point seven million dollars at the North American box office. That's U.S. and Canada. That was the highest grossing film ever for Paramount. So now now. Top Gun Maverick is now the top grossing film ever for Paramount at $602 million. And also, Titanic was also, for a long time, the highest grossing film in the world. Not in North America necessarily, but in the world when you combine everything together. So that's a pretty big number to kind of surpass. I think it's now, Top Gun Maverick is number 12 I think all time in North America. But if it's going to beat Titanic worldwide, I don't think it's quite going to get there because that's over $2 billion. And Maverick Right now, sitting at one point two billion.
1: I'm Mark Christopher. It's Northwest this week, ending for the week of July sixteenth. We'll be back.
0: This is Northwest News This Week.
1: The coronavirus pandemic, not quite done. This new BA5 version of the Omicron variant shows a knack for evading antibodies and reinfecting
10: us. A story appearing in the Washington Post. Senator Van Sice went to the author of the story. Jolie, you quote a professor at Scripps Research who says that this is the worst version of the virus we've seen. Why does he believe that's the case?
7: So, yeah, so this virus, this version of it, this sub variant, BA5, it has a lot of mutations in it. That allow it to escape the immunity we have, either from being previously infected, or from vaccination, or both. And so, it's it's not a totally new virus, obviously. But it, it, if you've been boosted and, and vaxxed, or if you've had a previous case, you're still vulnerable to getting infected again with BA five. That's that's the problem. Now, when Eric Topol, the professor, says it's the worst version of it. I mean, arguably, no. The, the, when we, the virus first showed up two and a half years ago, that was the worst version because we had no immunity to it at all. We'd never, our bodies had never seen it before. We didn't have vaccines yet. We're in this dance with the virus right now where it's, it keeps mutating in response to our immune system. And the result is a lot of infections and a lot of reinfections, people who are getting infected for the second or third time
10: do we know yet how widespread the ba5 variant is in the united states or is that data just not there
7: we do actually have an idea uh, of of the percentage of cases right now that are being caused by ba5 it's it's a majority it's a little bit over half according to the latest cdc estimate which always runs a week or two behind so i think that the the latest news we hear is that most cases are BA5 or they're BA4, which is almost the same. It has the same spike protein as BA5. So these two together are driving the wave of cases. And the real question is, how many cases are there? Uh, I mean, how many people right now are getting infected with the virus? That is a really interesting question. Situation because people are testing at home and they 're not reporting the results of the test or they're not testing at all they don 't maybe they don 't want to know if the the, the, the the thing that they are suffering from at the moment is covid so the but the experts are telling us that i mean it could be half a million people right now infected with the virus, which is a very large number. That's a big wave of cases, and it's why, anecdotally, you probably know people who have had COVID in the last few weeks.
10: Yeah, I can think of two or three names just off the top of my mind right now. Uh, Why is BA5 so adept at reinfection? Do we know that yet?
7: Well, we know the specific mutations on it that kind of alter the structure or chemistry of the spike. Uh, And there's some other parts of the virus that are also a little bit different, which may be part of that kind of slippery nature of it. It, it. It's nothing supernatural. It's just evolution. I mean, evolution happens and uh, the virus is constantly making copies of itself. And eventually it lands on um, you know, a recipe or just through random mutations of, of the amino acids. It, it lands on a version that, that does a little better uh, in terms of, of infecting people or replicating in their cells.
10: The new version is BA5. Joel Achenbach reporting on it in the Washington Post. And you can read more online, including about uh, why this may impact our calculus around developing new boosters for the COVID-19 vaccine. You can find more online at WashingtonPost.com. Joel, thank you.
1: Thank you, Taylor. Bill Gates continues to give away his money. Greg Herschel explains his latest donation.
11: Gates announced today that he's giving $20 billion to his foundation to deal with the suffering caused by global setbacks, including the COVID-19 pandemic. That donation, combined with board member Warren Buffett's $3.1 billion gift last month, brings the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's endowment to approximately $70 billion. That makes it one of the largest, if not the largest, in the world. The foundation plans to raise its annual budget by 50% over pre-pandemic levels by 2026. Greg Herschelt, Northwest News Radio. A
1: stateside health survey is painting an unsettling picture about the mental health of school-aged children. It's another story of the past week we want to make sure you heard about. Here's John Lobertini.
12: The pandemic is changing lives in ways we still don't fully understand. In Kittitas County, the impact on school-age children has been life-changing. Special Programs Coordinator Casey Knudsen. When we look
5: back to 2010, it was 31% of 10th graders in Kittitas County were feeling sad or hopeless and reported that. In 2021,
12: it was 41%. 70% of the 10th graders in Kittitas County told the survey they felt nervous or anxious. 24% said they considered attempting suicide. 10% actually did try to take their own lives.
5: The information is very clearly telling us that our kids need help. It's a big cry for help.
12: Statewide, the numbers are only slightly smaller. The Healthy Youth Survey is conducted every two years. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. As we
1: continue, it's been less than three weeks after reversal of Roe v. Wade by the U.S. Supreme Court. Several states have passed bans or New restrictions on abortions. And now some women are coming to our state to get them.
6: In neighboring Idaho, a trigger ban is set to make nearly all abortions illegal. It's not a done deal yet, but many of those women are expected to drive into Washington seeking services. The Daily Herald reports the director at the all women's care clinic says they've already increased hours of operation with a 20 percent increase in patients calling from out of state. Governor Jay Inslee's offered assurances to women seeking care here.
13: Protecting the women
1: of the West Coast and the citizens that come from these other states.
6: Through executive order, Inslee's offered an initial million dollars to abortion providers to handle the influx. Meantime, pro-life groups, including Human Life of Washington, say they'd like to see equal support for women who choose to keep their babies. The CEO, Esther Ripplinger. To give women all of the support that they need to have a full and rich life. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio.
1: Senator Maria Cantwell is among those introducing legislation to help protect a woman's right to get an abortion. She
14: and 33 other Democrats have introduced the Freedom to Travel for Health Care Act. It would bar states like Texas that are looking to criminalize women traveling out of state to seek abortion care. Cantwell spoke on the issue last week.
5: These laws take rights away from women that they have had for
13: decades.
14: But it's unlikely Cantwell's proposal could clear an expected Republican filibuster. Jeff and Northwest News Radio.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Gun violence treated as a public health emergency in the state's largest county.
14: King County
4: Public Health made a
1: presentation
4: to a Seattle City Council committee which included the goal of interrupting violence now and a focus on a small group of younger people who numbers show are involved in most of the violence concentrated in certain parts of the city and county. Public Health Saluthera Lisch says providing services to families includes a strategic approach.
0: Looking at younger siblings who are often directly impacted by their elder siblings' involvement in gun violence and so we have a referral strategy to catch those young people and help support them so that perhaps we can prevent the next incident of violence.
4: The difference is that approach is led by community organizations rather than law enforcement. As they implement the plan, Lish says they want to hear from people in the community, including the voices of youth so they can learn from those most impacted by violence.
1: Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio. The cities of Seattle and Portland launching a joint public safety campaign urging drivers to slow the flock down. Kathy O'Shea with the story.
6: The attention-grabbing campaign is part of the city of Seattle's larger Vision Zero strategy to end traffic deaths and serious injuries by 2030. The campaign bolsters the Seattle Department of Transportation's recent work to lower the speed limit to 25 miles per hour on most major city streets. Both cities will continue to design and implement safety improvements, focusing on areas where the most serious crashes occur the most 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 often. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio.
1: Just ahead, more about President Biden's ratings and that Trump meeting. But first, let's continue now. City of Bellevue leaders are soft peddling any talk of an Amazon tax, even as they stare down a sobering budget crisis. Carwin Hake with a story.
3: Bellevue has a bone to pick with a Seattle newspaper columnist. Last month, Danny Westneat of the Seattle Times wrote, Bellevue is facing a Seattle-style prosperity bomb in which tech giants bring expensive growth to a city, but the city lacks the tax structure to pay for that growth. Westneat reported in the Times at a March City Council meeting, Councilmember Conrad Lee suggested Amazon should pay its fair share.
9: They have to participate in helping the
1: city's growth in all ways, including our financial situation.
3: Now, though, Bellevue is miffed. Mayor Lynn Robinson tells Geekwire West Neats reporting gives the false impression that the council has discussed corporate taxing in Bellevue. Robinson says that's not so. Amazon is building twin office towers in downtown Bellevue and will fill them with up to 10,000 workers. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: I'm Mark Christopher. You're listening to Northwest News This Week, ending for the week of July 16th. Remember, also available as a podcast for your convenience. You can find that at nwnewsradio.com. Click on Podcasts. That's nwnewsradio.com. Plenty more just ahead.
0: Northwest This Week continues.
1: We now know here at Northwest News how much the city of Seattle is willing to
12: spend to recruit and retain police officers. Mayor Bruce Harrell's plan comes with a big price tag. This plan offers incentives up to $30,000 for lateral transfers. And $7,500 for new recruits. The mayor says he even went to roll calls to talk to police officers. And I look at the officers and I look in their eyes and I say, number one, I respect what you do. You're trying to protect and serve. I'm trying to find you bench strength. And I'm trying to change the narrative. Seattle PD has taken a hit losing more than 400 officers since 2019. Today, the department is short-staffed by more than 370. Interim Police Chief Adrian Diaz.
9: Our staffing levels currently do not allow us to ensure the high level of public safety the people of this city deserve.
12: The $2 million plan includes hiring more recruiters, doing more advertising, and streamlining a complex hiring process. We do believe that these staffing levels are at a crisis level. The mayor's plan now heads to the city council. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio.
1: Thanks, John. The state Supreme Court looking at ways to end racial inequities in the criminal justice system. Details now from Jeff Podula.
14: The court convened a committee of lawyers, judges, and activists to present recommendations among the ideas, reducing court costs, expanding diversion and treatment programs, and even capping the maximum sentence for any crime to just 20 years. Addressing re-entry into society was also an issue, and Pierce County Judge Andre Ponyol Ver suggested reducing the number of crimes that result in the loss of a driver
0: license. A suspended license is a barrier to full access to society and the economy.
14: But on its own, there's not much the court can do, as many, if not most, of the recommendations would require legislative approval. Jeff on Northwest News Radio.
1: The security, transparency, and misinformation surrounding the state's election system are all top of the mind for candidates hoping to be the next Secretary of State.
11: Eight candidates hope to fill the spot left by former Secretary Kim Wyman last year. The winner of this year's election will serve the remainder of her term, which ends in 2024. Following the 2020 election, misinformation surrounding election systems and widespread fraud have drawn concerns from most of the candidates. Most said they wanted to increase transparency and awareness of how the state's election system works. The Spokesman Review reports the majority also said there should be better communication with the public about what happens with their ballot. The top two candidates will face each other in the November elections. Eric Heintz, Northwest News Radio.
1: You're listening to Northwest News this week, ending July the 16th. Another story of the past week, a new poll shows President Joe Biden's own party turning on him and wanting somebody other than him to run in 2024. Alisa Javi asking about this with ABC's Andy Field and about the voters' views of our president. Let's give a
8: listen. The new poll spells big problems for Biden. And if he truly wants to have a second term, doesn't it?
15: It was the New York Times Siena College poll, and it revealed that 64 percent of Democrats, this is his own party, say they need to nominate Someone different in 2024 would ask why they want a different candidate. 33% of the voters said it's because of his age. And then 32% said it's because of his job performance. 60% of all voters aren't happy with Biden's job as president. When you get to the entire party, it's a little different. 70% of Democrats say he's doing a good, okay job. Well, almost 90% of Republicans disapprove. Now that's all bad news for, for Joe Biden. However, here's the silver lining here. If the 2024 election were held today, Joe Biden still beats out former President Donald Trump. 44% of voters said they would support Biden, while 41% said they would support Trump.
8: Interesting too, Andy, when it comes to uh, voters under age 30, their numbers were even worse for Biden.
15: Yeah, they're looking for a younger candidate. Of course, they tend to be more progressive, especially the Democrats, if you're younger than older. And we've seen this with uh, Ocasio-Cortez, the young a congresswoman from New York, who is very progressive, who's openly suggested that she might not support Joe Biden for president come the next election here. So, and it's not clear that he's going to want to run for election again. That's the interesting question. He hasn't come straight out and said yes, I'm going to run again, and he's going to have to make that decision within the next six months or so because these campaigns tend to run two years, and you know it's a grueling contest. If the Democrats want any chance of winning back the White House and it's someone other than Donald Trump, as we've seen, he can beat Donald Trump, at least in the current poll, but not by much, then they might want to reconsider the whole
8: thing. As for Kamala Harris, her poll numbers aren't that high either. ABC's Andy Field joining us from Washington. Thank you, Andy.
1: In the minutes ahead, a couple of stories in our sports department. The Pac-12 future. And as all eyes continue to watch what's happening in Russia with Brittany Griner of the WNBA and Olympic gold medalist, a couple of Seattle Storm ball players are... Anxious to get Brittany Griner home from Russia. But as I promised, this week's public hearing from the House January 6th Select Committee was full of headlines. Witness intimidation, insurrectionist testimony, and a new star witness. But there was more. We learned it nearly became a physical fight at the White House when staffers found out a group of unofficial Trump advisors managed to get into the Oval Office in the weeks before the January 6th insurrection. Rosalind Helderman looked into the matter for The Washington Post and shared this with our listeners.
10: We know Rudy Giuliani joined the group later, but who made up this initial group of unofficial advisors who were first into the Oval Office?
5: Yeah, our understanding is it was a group of four people. Uh, One was Sidney Powell, the uh, sort of Trump-aligned lawyer who had been filing lawsuits in that time period challenging the election. Uh, One was Michael Flynn, uh, the former national security advisor who had been fired by Trump. Uh, Another was another lawyer working with Powell. And the fourth was Patrick Byrne, who was the former uh, CEO of Overstock. This was sort of a group of people who were really pushing sort of the most wild theories that the election might have been stolen by Venezuelans or Chinese and pushing the president, the then president, to take uh, really radical action to try. Try
10: to stay in office. Or that maybe even Nest Thermostats had a hand in that too. Um, why, according to the Democratic Committee member Jamie Raskin, what was this night so critical in the run up to January 6th?
5: Yeah, I mean, there had been some reporting about this meeting before, but we learned a lot more about it in the hearing yesterday. And uh, it sounds like an absolutely sort of crazy, uh, Congressman Raskin referred to it as absurd, uh, six hour Friday night meeting of screaming and shouting and profanities. Uh, But he said that, you know, this meeting is important. It's not just absurd and and sort of shocking to hear about, but it's actually important because this was a moment where Donald Trump Trump had a six-hour front row seat to a debate, a debate between uh, his own advisors, people who worked in the White House, who were saying, this stuff is nuts. It isn't true. There is no evidence for it. And this other crowd who was pushing these really radical ideas, uh, and Donald Trump could have chosen to go with his own advisors, uh, but he didn't. He rejected their advice and their good counsel, and he went with this other crowd instead.
10: One of the key questions in my mind after hearing this yesterday was, how did they get in to the White House? I mean, what what does this say about White House security if a junior staffer can take this group of four conspiracy theorists directly to the Oval Office?
5: Yeah, it's a pretty shocking, uh, moment. Um, uh, Patrick Byrne, one of those people, um, has written a book and he writes about this and he talks about how, uh, even he and Sidney Powell and that group were, were pretty surprised they were able to get in. Uh, but basically they were able to locate, uh, kind of, uh, co-travelers who were sympathetic to their cause amongst lower level aides who sort of shepherded them close enough to the Oval Office that Donald Trump saw them and kind of waved them in. Uh, we know from the testimony yesterday from Sidney Powell that they were there for at least 10 to 15 minutes alone with the then president uh, to express their views. Uh, And then at some point, someone alerted Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, that they were there and he came rushing over. Uh, She sort of noted that she believed that he set a a land speed record uh, to get into that meeting.
10: The meeting went past midnight and then an hour and a half later or so, That fateful tweet, big protest in D.C. on January 6th, be there, will be wild, from the president's now suspended Twitter account. You can find it all online at WashingtonPost.com from investigative reporter Rosalind Helderman. Rosalind, thank you.
1: Northwest News This Week continues.
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week, and now, Mark Christopher.
1: Northwest tribes fighting to restore salmon runs on a major river will take their case to the nation's capital.
4: When it comes to power generation from the four lower Snake River dams, the numbers vary widely. From the more than 5,300 megawatts the Bonneville Power Administration says would need to be replaced if the dams are breached, to Northwest River Partners claim it's nearly 15,000. The power companies say without the dams, they can't meet climate goals. In a video from the Salmon Orca Project, Nez Perce Tribal Director Jesse Layton argues that they have a bigger consideration. For
10: tens of thousands of years, we've
7: survived off our salmon runs, and in a matter of decades, those dams have been an impediment that have absolutely decimated those fish runs to near extinction. So the tribe's
4: plan is to replace the dam's power with solar, but they know they can't do it on their own, so they've formed a co-op so other tribes can join in a virtual power plant. They will rally at the U.S. Capitol Thursday to urge Congress to act on dam removal. Ryan
1: Harris, Northwest News Radio. A Link Light Rail extension, now in the planning stages, will operate entirely within the Seattle City limits. And if you think city leaders have opinions about that line, you're right. Where it stands right now, here's Corwin Hake.
3: Seattle City Council members unanimously have approved a set of preferences for the upcoming Link Line to serve West Seattle, downtown, and Ballard. They include a tunnel in West Seattle and a new downtown tunnel with multiple stops. As
14: we all know, this voter approved expansion of light rail is a massive investment in the benefits of regional transit.
3: But Councilmember Alex Peterson and his colleagues punted on a controversial proposal to build a Link station 180 feet below the Chinatown Internet. District instead of moving such a project closer to the stadiums.
14: Today's resolution acknowledges that more time and community engagement are needed before making generational decisions that impact the Chinatown International District.
3: Voters approved the $13 billion Ballard West Seattle extension when they passed ST3 in 2016. An environmental impact statement still must be approved. A 10 year construction period begins in 2026. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Small
1: Airport and small plane manufacturers have a big impact on the economy. That's what general aviation industry leaders are telling a U.S. House committee led by a congress member from our state.
3: Times are tough in general aviation, the sector that covers small planes and regional airports. Mark Baker is CEO of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. Our aviation system is facing a workforce shortage, including pilots, mechanics, technicians, and air traffic controllers. Washington Democratic Congressman Rick Larson, chair of the U.S. House Aviation Subcommittee committee knows firsthand the value of the small plane industry. For example, in my hometown of Arlington, Washington, the Arlington Municipal Airport is home to Aviation, an aviation
2: company which is developing the nine-seat all-electric Alice aircraft.
3: Industry leader Greg Pecoraro assures Larson none of that innovation is happening at SeaTac or other international airports. As we prepare for a new era of aviation, GA airports will be the first staging grounds for these emerging technologies. That's why he and other leaders are urging Larson and his colleagues to invest in small airport improvements and to push for faster FAA approval of aviation innovations. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio.
1: An independent filmmaker from Seattle has produced a compelling story of his dysfunctional family, and it's a project that he began more than two decades ago. To explain it, here's Craig Herschel.
0: I grew up in Seattle, in the Haller Lake neighborhood near Northgate, and so did my brothers, Sam and Jared. My stepmom Joyce.
11: That's Reed Harkness, who has produced a film that was 25 years in the making. This is my
0: half brother Sam. I've been filming him since he was 11.
11: It started when he found an old Super 8 movie camera in his dad's garage.
0: At a point, that filmmaking shifts dramatically when Sam's mom, my stepmother, runs away from our family one day. No communication. This is a really unsettling thing for our family. Nobody knows what to do.
11: Reed continues to make movies with Sam over the years on all kinds of different formats.
0: Super sixteen millimeter, super eight millimeter, mini DV, um and then it gets into like the, HD and the the world of Aerie 4K by the end of it. So it's got this great evolution of format, and that sort of shows like the, the growth of time and the growth of me as a filmmaker. Years passed, and they decided to embark on a more
11: daunting movie project. They would go searching for Sam's mother, Joyce, and it stirred all kinds of emotions, ranging from fun and excitement to terror.
0: When it comes down to it, some of these like really heavy things, like abandonment issues, um, you know, maybe we're not ready for. That starts to come out in the movie. It's a fascinating story. She's a fascinating woman.
6: She just did whatever she wanted to do, and she didn't care for anybody liked it or not.
11: And you can see the whole thing unfold as they eventually locate Joyce in California.
0: There's a lot uh, to do with avoidance of feelings, coping mechanisms, how, you know, things that happen at one point in your life can kind of haunt you for a very long time. You know, things that go unaddressed like that, traumas that go unaddressed, can be passed down through generations.
11: Reads hope for viewers of his film.
0: I think that there is potential that other families would see this and be like, oh, maybe I should talk to my brother. Oh, maybe I should talk to my mom. And that would be a wonderful outcome.
11: His film is titled Sam Now. It will be screened next Thursday, July 21st at the Egyptian Theater in Seattle. You can get tickets on the website for the Seattle International Film Festival at SIF.net, siff.net, sif If you miss it, it'll be shown next spring on PBS's Independent Lens series. Greg Hersholt, Northwest News Radio.
1: It's Northwest this week. It's a way for you to catch up to the top stories of our past week. Maybe you only got a headline or two or missed a story completely. We've got some sports to cover just ahead. I'm Mark Christopher. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Northwest This Week with Mark Christopher.
1: It's been two weeks since UCLA and USC dropped a bombshell on the college sports world. Bill Swartz here of Northwest News says the Pac-12 Conference and its remaining 10 universities are left in a precarious position. Mergers,
16: realignments, super conferences, and also rans. The result of a stunning move by the two LA college sports programs to the Big Ten Conference in 2024. Like many, former University of Oregon, Washington State University, and Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose had a mixed reaction.
13: What is going on this crazy world, but you know in these days of NIL and uh, transfer portals and everybody hopping one place to go to another I, after the dust settled it really didn't surprise me that much.
16: Moose tells host John Canzano of Oregon's Bald Face Truth podcast it's become a dog-eat-dog world of college athletics. Super-sized leagues and billion-dollar media contracts are calling the shots. Moose worries what will happen to smaller programs like Oregon State and Washington State.
13: And I always felt a student-athlete was the college town, that college experience where you have to pack up and go to state U. The, unfortunately, again, Uh, that is not appealing when you're talking about big dollars in television markets.
16: Will there be an Apple Cup after 2023? As we reported on Northwest News Radio, lawmakers in Oregon and Washington are introducing legislation trying to keep their public college sports teams together, no matter which conference they play. Moose says the Ducks and Huskies should be fine. They have pedigrees, which makes them attractive to other leagues. Uh,
13: Oregon has sustained it, and it's got a lot of pizzazz and sizzle. Today is something that people like to tune into. The problem is, there aren't there, there isn't that big an audience within the state. And uh, uh, Washington's a little different story. They they've got a a, a great tradition and and uh, and they've got viewers.
16: What's left of the Pac-12 conference in a weak position as it tries to negotiate a new broadcast rights deal with ESPN and Fox. I'm Bill Swartz, Northwest News Radio.
1: A couple of Brittany Griner's fellow Olympic gold medalists and WNBA players are beyond anxious to get her home from Russia. Ryan Harris had a chance to talk with both of them.
4: With the Seattle Storm in solid position to make the postseason, this is a weight they'll all carry into the playoffs, including Sue Bird, who tells me Griner's guilty plea can speed up the legal process and she hopes allow the Biden administration to do what Sue says they need to do. The
5: message here is for players in the WNBA, for people who know Britney's story. It's just to continue to talk about it, keep her in the forefront, and so the administration knows we're going to support whatever it is they need to do to bring her home because ultimately that's all we all want.
4: For Brianna Stewart and Brittany Griner are friends and both played for the same Russian team. So Stewie has been understandably worried about what her friend is going through.
5: For her to be there over 140 days and counting isn't right. And she needs to be back home safe with her family. And we miss her. The league isn't the same
4: without her. And Stewie is asking for as much help adding signatures to the change.org petition calling for Griner to be returned safely to the U.S. as she can get. So far, close to 325,000 names have been added. Ryan Harris, Northwest News Radio.
1: Now you're all set for a whole new week of all the stories we cover here at Northwest News Radio. You're all caught up with Northwest this week, ending for the week of July the 16th. We have this program for you every week here on Northwest News Radio, AM 1000, FM 97.7, also at 101.5 HD Channel 2. As we mentioned, it is a podcast at nwnewsradio.com. Anytime for your convenience, that's where you'll find other favorite podcasts like Politicast, LifeBeat, and Puget Sound Now. And if you enjoy this program as a podcast, we hope you'll take a moment and share a rating and review at apple podcast northwest this week produced by bill o'neill editor and tech advisor is painter Webb. i'm mark christopher it's always great to know that you're there listening and have a need for this program and we'll do it again in another week thank you so much for listening and have a great week